Rolling. We are rolling. Rolling, 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 rolling along. I don't know. Roll hide. Roll hide. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Farley, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson and Hazel Chandler. Today's episode is a buff or bluff one, so that means we'll have facts from all corners of the entertainment industry, but which ones are the truth? Plus we'll get into our first spoiler-free reactions to Indiana Jones and the Secret of Destiny and Dial Invasion. Wait. Did you just say Secret of Destiny and Dial Invasion? Yes. That's staying Reverse in the podcast, that. isn't it, Peter? I was doing a little thing, but, ah. you know, way to play along. Do we believe her? <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's start the show. So we had a pretty significant birthday this week, didn't we? In our, ah, who was that? In our... Uh, Pod family. It was uh, Ripley the dog's yeah. third birthday, yes. That is also true, yes. <laughs> Did she enjoy her gifts? She she got a cake and she got a chicken that makes a clucking noise when she shakes it. Why do you do this to yourself? You go, oh, that's cute. And then you realise you're basically just trying to kill and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, also, uh, we also have Peter celebrating... Uh, quite a significant birthday, maybe? Yes, it is. I'm not sure what the devil which one. <laughs> maybe give the listeners a clue. What was the biggest movie that came out when you were born? When I was born? Well, mm. I didn't go to the cinema then. So <laughs> uh, I do know when we do improv, there's a, a game we play using To Do Run Run. Mm-hmm. And actually, that song was. That was in the charts when I was born. Mm. How yeah. auspicious. The top grossing film in the year of your birth, which I assume is 63. We weren't saying. <laughs> We can edit that out. The uh, the top grossing film. In the, do, you, do you want to guess the top grossing film in the year of your birth? Doctor No. Uh, no, that's not Cleopatra. even in the top ten. Cleopatra is correct. Uh, yeah. Okay. Followed by How the West Was Won. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Tom Jones, Ermed Ledoux, mm. Son of Flubber, Charade, Bye Bye Birdie, Come Blow Your Horn, Move Over, Darling, which is, I believe. One's Doris Day. I was I was going to go the name of your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> and The Great Escape, also. <laughs> oh, wow. So we had a lovely celebration yesterday. Yeah, it was it was very nice having having everyone over. It's really good. And also, thank you all for the lovely presents as well. Mm. I got lots of nice gifts, including sort of nerdy books on music and film and things, and some nice little games to play, and two tins of... <laughs> baked beans and with sausages in them. Yep. <laughs> Which is my staple diet for lunch. That's next week sorted out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually have one of them today. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> You've got to have the second one actually on your birthday tomorrow. It's going to okay. be your, your, your birthday lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Big nerd basket, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, that was lovely. And it was nice, nice to have everyone over there and people I've known since mm. I was like two and seven and things like that. So you've had a nice time. Andy, you had less of a nice time. Is it fair to say recently went on our last cinema trip? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. Um, it, I didn't find it kind of physically painful, but uh, that is the best thing that I can say about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah, so we went to see this. Peter, you haven't seen this yet, no, but no, no. the rest of us went to see it on Friday night. I enjoyed it. 
Ow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not great. Uh, it's the fourth best Indiana Jones film, which means it's the worst Indiana Jones film on one count, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it's ten times better than Crystal Skull, I think. You're kind of trapped because you have to maintain the yeah. fiction that you don't believe <laughs> yeah. that one exists. I think Dan said it best when he said, there's nothing in this latest film that's on the same level as shitness that is the <laughs> yeah. Kingdom of Crystal Skull. There's nothing like that. I think that's fair. I didn't think there was anything especially terrible about it. It's just that I, I found that there was nothing I liked about it and I was just mm. constantly for two and a half hours just not interested in anything and I just got more and more bored yeah. as I went on until the ending which was I'm not going to spoil it but it's fucking ludicrous <laughs> <laughs> more ludicrous than a holy grail that makes Nazis faces melt or a, a soldier that's been stood for 700 years guarding the cup of Christ or aliens I mean, or any story can be good and can uh, be accepted if it's told well so I mm-hmm. think if, yeah. if, if they'd taken this exact same story with that ending and it had been a good film, it had been well, well told and seeded nicely and such, mm-hmm. then I probably would have accepted it and not felt it was so daft. So yeah. it's it's difficult to say. I mean, I, I felt about Crystal Skull, the whole aliens thing, um, it's no sillier than all the um, religious stuff in the other films. It's just mm-hmm. that it doesn't gel mm-hmm. with the religious stuff in the other films. And also it was a bad film and it should stop. <laughs> Did you miss Spielberg? Yeah, yeah, very much. Mm. Um, I thought the biggest problem I had with the film was was the pacing. Uh, I thought it felt very slow at all times. Spielberg would have been a lot more snappy, a lot more brisk. He would have been much more focused and just have very simple, quick ways of introducing characters. You know exactly who they are, right? We're rollicking along with the story. And this dwelled on all sorts of unnecessary mm. stuff, including a henchman's moustache, which I just <laughs> saw far too much of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like with, with Spielberg, his DNA is in these wide, expansive shots that mm. tell you exactly what you need to know about the landscape, the look, the feel and everything. And I was really looking forward to this because I do think James Mangold is a, a great director, Logan probably being yeah, the highlight yeah. of his <laughs> career. Love but Logan. I really struggled to see the action. And that might be to do with do, the do you mean cinema. To, to understand it. No, when you were watching it was it. blurry. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. very, very quick. It was a lot of it was done at night. Mm. And it was quite badly lit. I think that might be to do with the cinema. We yes. saw it in the Odeon. And it's, yeah, mm. it's the same cinema we went to see Spider-Man in a couple of weeks ago. And we, we had a similar experience. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see it maybe on an IMAX, to be honest. But I think action should have its own language and it should communicate so much. But for me, I was just like, I was almost squinting at points because mm. I just felt a mm-hmm. little bit like, I think maybe the best example of having something which is on an epic scale where the action is astronomical is in at Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. Mm. You can see every sword swing. You can see every reaction. You know exactly where the three main characters are at any point in time. It's all told in such a cohesive way. Whereas here it was just crash, bang, wallop with no linear storyline. I came out feeling quite dejected and disappointed. I went in hoping for fun, mm. but unfortunately for me, it it, it was a bit of a slog. Mm. So missed opportunities with some of the cast. Much more Toby Jones, please. Mm. Uh, I would have loved that. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge is probably one of the best things in it, but still I had problems with the way that she was portrayed. So, yeah. Mance Mikkelsen was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's always great. I would have yep. just like... Very convincing Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment for an actor. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. on, on the subject of finding it difficult to see the action, I think part of that will be because uh, a lot of the action was done in medium shots and mm. with some close-ups as well. And there's there's definitely room for that in all types of scenes. But in action, you want to have a lot of wide shots where you get a good sense of the space and you understand all the moving mm-hmm. parts yeah. and how... That's what Spielberg does well. Yeah, have exactly. you seen that clip that was doing the rounds on YouTube a few weeks ago of him directing Jurassic Park? No, um, I don't think so. It's him, Sam Neill, and one of the kids. And basically, he's just looks around and goes, okay, we're going to do this shot. And then Sam, you're going to walk across. And like on the day, he's blocking it. And he's got in his head exactly what he wants to see. It's amazing. I know for the indie movies, they're very tightly mm-hmm. um, storyboarded for the Spielberg ones. So that's probably why he knows exactly mm-hmm. what it's going to be. Because he's already, if you like, seen it in his head. Apparently, he storyboards some films then and others doesn't, depending mm-hmm. on how he wants to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, James Mangold's great, but he's no... No Spielberg. No Spielberg. Yeah. No one is. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I was, it wasn't great. I wasn't blown away by it. I just wanted a fun couple of hours. And I think the problem is, I think you said to me, Andy, before we went in, I think I made a mistake watching Last Crusade. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. I watched it's that set, a couple of days before. Yeah, it's yeah, set such a high bar. That's it's one of the great. best action films ever made, if not the best. Mm-hmm. And then that, eh, yeah, wasn't so a fair comparison. Mm, but for a fun Friday evening yeah. adventure movie, I, I enjoyed it. You got all the Indiana Jones tropes and... Yeah, some repeated a little bit too often. Yeah. Well, did, did you know that Indiana Jones has a hat and it's really important that we all notice the hat? <laughs> I watched Crystal Skull the other week, or the last half hour of it, and that... Oh, Jesus. Where they're going down those um, rapids, where they go over the waterfalls, and mm. there's just... His hat is still on at the bottom. Yeah. And also they're, they're not dead. It is stapled to his head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something very telling that Dan said, I think, was that he didn't laugh once the entire movie. And I I did once. You did once. And I, the only time I laughed was when I glanced to my left and John was doing a party dance at a rea- as a reaction to something that had been revealed in the film. Mm-hmm. Was it that Crystal Skull never happened? Probably, yeah. 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 I think it was supposed to be a sad emotional moment, but I didn't quite... It was, yeah, it was hilarious. Was it that was dead? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Just... <laughs> the, ju- the juxtaposition of this like heartfelt moment <laughs> and he did it again when it was mentioned again <laughs> so john i gather you now have a pass to the darkest cinema in the world yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what it's by his regret but i got this Nordian unlimited card which is i think it's 15 pounds a month and mm-hmm. seen as indiana jones was 12 pounds 50 mm. you had to get it for three months so and there's a, i think there's like three films that i want to see in the next two weeks so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a try for three months and see if it's uh so I'm guessing worthwhile that's or not. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer Mission Barbie. Impossible. Mission Impossible, Asteroid City. Oh yeah. Also there's things like the Flash that I may go and see that I wouldn't necessarily pay and go and see, but because it's mm-hmm. there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the, I want to see the Flash into the Speed Force. Oh yeah. Iconic Oscar winning moment. I've been spoiled for the end of the Flash though, unfortunately. Does that actually spoil it though? No, but there's something that happens at the very end that would have been a nice gag if people hadn't told me about it. Bloody internet. It was my 599th tweet of the day that I saw it on as well. That was a bloody thing. So your complaint is at the internet and not at the amount of time you spend on the internet, which is more (laughs) that causes the problem. I'm very pleased Elon Musk is stopping Twitter so that I don't get spoiled for films anymore. Yeah, that is the... uh, Mm -hmm. There's an upside, actually, yeah. 
Well, Marvel has a new TV show out, which is something oh, yeah. that we haven't been able to say uh, very often in the last year. Uh, Secret Invasion. We've seen two episodes so far of... <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> Not a fan. Second one was better than the first, I thought. Yeah, yeah. it was. The first one was very weird because they filmed it in Halifax near where I grew up and what was supposed to be a big square in the middle of Moscow was quite clearly outside the Peace Hall in Halifax, down to double yellow lines, um, which I don't think they have in Russia. I'm not sure. I, I googled it to so. check, but I don't yeah. think they do. Black caps and whippets yeah, everywhere. But that's not, those aren't <laughs> oh, his no. biggest problems. No. I don't know why I didn't enjoy it. I don't, it's, it's not particularly gripping. Mm. It's not... Directly exciting enough. It's not surprising enough. The dialogue's not good enough, which is a shame because actually, casting-wise, it's actually mm-hmm. pretty good. And Olivia Coleman is yeah. genius mm-hmm. in it as always. She's by far the best thing in it. Yeah, she is. Uh, I'm a little bit more up on it. I love the genre, so it's like mm-hmm. spies and thriller type um, thing, and probably a little bit more adult than some of the TV shows we've yeah. seen. There was some mm-hmm. nasty violence in the last I one. I was surprised how bloody it was. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of seeing people get shot and chest wounds and things like Losing that. Losing body parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm really intrigued by the Scrolls storyline. Enough to want to like go you know, go through with it. I hope it's gonna there's gonna be things that are gonna be paying off. I agree with you that the surprises aren't surprising enough. Like mm-hmm. I, I knew when everyone was a scroll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that's probably my main problem with it so far and they just repeatedly reuse it who is a skrull and yeah. if anybody can be a skrull you're just expecting that reveal constantly and it gets a bit the first couple of mission impossibles i always found a bit annoying with these mask removal stuff of pulling the mask mm-hmm. off your face the first one was probably judge right but the second one it was every 10 minutes everyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love how in the Mission Impossible, Tom Hanks has a magic mask that changes his face and makes him a foot taller. Yeah. It's funny Tom how they, Hanks. It's funny really? how they put uh, him in the film, isn't it? <laughs> it is Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's the reveal in the last one. Oh, Tom I would love Tom yeah. Hanks to be in a Mission Impossible mm-hmm. movie. That would be amazing. Pedantic um, grammar point. Is, is, it, is it not Missions Impossible? It depends. If you see a film as a mission... Mm. that is rather difficult to do. Um, that's, I mean, that's a more technically correct <laughs> title of the film, isn't it? Yeah, it, well, Anthony Hopkins actually calls it out in the second one because mm-hmm. he's describing this ornate thing that Tom Cruise has to do. Sorry, Tom Hanks. And, um, <laughs> Tom, Tom Hardy wasn't it? Tom, yeah. <laughs> Tom Copley. Tom Hiddlestone re- replies, <laughs> this is going to be really, really difficult. And Anthony Hopkins said, well, it's not mission difficult, it's mission impossible. Mm, so yeah. difficult to be a walk in the park. Yeah. I like the bit where Tom Jones falls out and played. <laughs> <laughs> it's not unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but going back to Secret Invasion, any more thoughts so far? I mildly like it. Um, I think it's, it's moderately solid. It feels mostly that it has potential, that there's yeah. um, opportunity for interesting philosophical conflict of um, how far do we go to protect ourselves? Are we justified doing this because of the, uh, the, the ends justifying mm-hmm. the means and so on? Um, at what point do you have to um, say you are a threat or, or because you are this, you are, are a threat? Yeah. Yeah. And it hasn't quite done that yet. Things might go that way. But. Yeah, I mean, there's the two groups of scrolls, isn't there, as well, like the friendly scrolls yes. and that. And I think that kind of might be interesting. That's very interesting, yeah. 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 It just it hasn't caught fire yet. And it mm-hmm. does feel uh, just a little bit just lacking of nothing too obvious. But yeah, it's just, just without, without pop, without yeah. spark, without Zork, you know. Does anyone else feel like every Marvel series is the wrong length? 
they're all either too short or too long for the mm-hmm. for the content. Do you mean um, the series as a whole or each episode? How many episodes they are typically? So, so I mean, we've had a few we've watched where, we've, yeah. where it's felt like they were padding out in the middle for no good reason, and there've been other ones where it was just about to get mm-hmm. good. Um, that was it. So mm, it dep- it's a big story to tell in six episodes. They mm. are an hour long. I think we were all a little bit surprised that um, the storyline involves yeah. Russia yeah. Um, mm. with what is going on. We're not entirely sure when the series was written. Certainly pickups were still being done after the invasion in uh, February 2022. Uh, so I don't know if things have been mm-hmm. amended since it was written, um, but I'm surprised. Rumors, I heard rumours have changed bits of it. Yeah. But small bits, but... Isn't part of the reason the Falcon and Winter Soldier turned out to be a bit of a mess was that the original plot line was them releasing a clo- global pandemic? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And the, yeah. The, yeah. There are still traces of it yeah. in the thing, mm-hmm. aren't there? Mm-hmm. We'll see how that pans out. There's even a bit at the start of the first episode where um, the title, not title card, but the uh, location comes up on screen. It says Moscow, and I think it says present day, and I did the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, the titles that has yes. been a bit uh, bit of contention. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm completely missed this. So could you ex- explain to me? Well, basically, the concept for the titles is they've done AI generated titles. Mm-hmm. They're a bit weird in the way that AI stuff sometimes is. So you'll have like a graphic that's visibly Samuel L. Jackson, except his face is a bit weird and a bit wrong, mm-hmm. and the whole thing's a bit sort of streaky green. Yeah, which makes sense with the concept of the series yeah. of whether people are yeah. in disguise. Or but not people like, have been up in know. arms because it's taking work away from graphic artists. So it was AI generated. Yes, yeah, I believe so. Though it was done uh, through mm-hmm. a graphic design agency who used that as a tool to make it and what we don't yeah. know is how much did they modify what yeah. it did yeah i think they've said that nobody was left out as a result of turning to ai to create this mm-hmm. so i don't know how much I believe that but mm. uh yeah it's uh i thought like when when it appeared on screen i, I was like oh this is quite cool but then you look closely uh, especially at the humans the way that humans yeah. have been drawn it's like oh that's not good but no one could be that's kind of deliberate it's all a bit weird it's all a bit wrong yeah, yeah. that's, that's what, kind of the metaphor yeah. for the yeah. show yeah mm. yeah but they've received mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of back um i want to say black slash what do i mean uh, backlash. backlash backlash not backflash <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, all of my every word of this has been chat GPT'd before we can. John, you couldn't make this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Should we buff or bluff? Yes, let's. Why not? Okay, so this is our buff or bluff game. So we all have three facts. One of them is a lie. So do play along with us as we try and work out which is the lie. Andy, do you want to go first? I have uh, a tribute to uh, the mediocre Indiana Jones film that we saw (laughs) (laughs) this week. Or more accurately, it's uh, hearkening back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Or that's less accurate because, well, you'll see. Unsurprisingly, (laughs) the success of Raiders in 1981 spawned numerous low-rent, oftentimes insane copycats. Here's some now, but which one have I made up? Okay. Number one. Gold Raiders, or possibly Gold Raiders. Da, da, da. <laughs> but Gold Raiders from 1982, a plane carrying a fortune in gold crashes in the Thai jungle and a band of treasure seekers mount an expedition to retrieve it. They must contend with an army led by an evil, one-legged communist commander. <laughs> Fortunately, the good guys have a secret weapon, a flying motorcycle mounted with rocket launchers, just like Indiana Jones. 
<laughs> right. Number two, Jungle Raiders. 1985, aka La Legenda del Rubino Malese, The Legend of the Malaysian Ruby in Italian. Adventurer Duke Howard and his sidekick, Gin Fizz, make, <laughs> make a living by taking rich holidaymakers on staged expeditions to retrieve a golden idol and escape from angry natives on a seaplane. One day, a beautiful Colombian museum curator named Yanez approaches them for help in finding the fabled Ruby of Gloom deep in the Malaysian jungle. Okay. And number three. Ruby of Gloom. Yes, the Ruby of Gloom. Okay, got it. It's a notoriously gloomy gem. (laughs) Ruby marketing board need to get their act together. Number three. Batman and the Spider's Tomb. (laughs) A Turkish film that I think think wasn't quite an authorised adaptation. (laughs) Batman teams up with a certain hat-wearing, whip-wielding archaeologist to fight ninjas, seduce priestesses, and search for a priceless golden statue of a spider hidden in a cave somewhere in the desert. Right. So, which two of these are potentially award-winning films? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Batman and Turkey have an interesting relationship, yeah. right? Is it Spider-Man or is it Turkish Star Wars? There's, no, there's, there's there lots are, of Turkish ones, yeah, but there's, there's a, a Batman. There's a town in Turkey oh, called yes. Batman. Yeah. And I think they were up in arms at many of the Batman films who were like, you know, Americans and Hollywood taking Batman's name in vain. Mm-hmm. So that one has roots in uh, truth. I know Italy have form for just completely disrespecting copyright and releasing unrelated cheap films, even as sequels. So I think there was a Terminator 2 and I think there was an Alien 2 a couple of episodes ago, you mentioned the Happy Days supposed sequel that they marketed yeah. something as when it had mm-hmm. nothing to do with Happy Days. Uh, so, John, how many of these have you seen? <laughs> I haven't seen any of them. The only one that I think I may have heard of is the second one. Jungle Raiders. Yeah. I know there's like avocado can- cannibals in the jungle of death. I've seen the, that. Yeah. Something like that. Cannibal women in the avocado jungle of death. That's the it one. Yeah. Oh. Well, that makes maybe more sense. I was wondering what an avocado cannibal is. Is it an avocado (laughs) that eats other avocados? (laughs) Mm. Golden Raiders. uh, Just just Gold Raiders. Gold Raiders. Golden Raiders would be silly. Which you sang to the tune of uh, Gold Finger, which is interesting because you like that song. Mm. It's true. I don't know. I'm pulling at strings. I'm going to go for the first one being the bluff. Gold Raiders with the flying motorcycle mounted with rocket launchers. Yes. Using the logic of if you had the first two, you would have gone for something Raiders as being the third one. Maybe I knew you would think Which that. sounds most Andy. <laughs> I'm going to go with the first one as well as yeah. sounding most Andy. I was thinking the first one as well. What were the character names again in the second one? Duke Howard. He occasionally gets referred to as Captain Yankee. <clears throat> and his sidekick is named Jin Fizz. Hmm... Gold Raiders. Yeah. Not Jungle Raiders. Three for three. All for one. Not Batman and the Spider's Tomb. Mm-mm. No. Batman and the Spider's Tomb, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're all wrong. Um, <laughs> Gold Raiders and Jungle Raiders are both real. Um, Gold Raiders looks hilariously bad. Not, not so hilariously bad that I'd watch it, but I've seen um, a trailer and um, <laughs> motorcycle. It looks more like just a bike and then it's got a paraglider glued to the top of it which folds up and looks a bit like a penis and then it unfolds and it's um it's it's just kind of a paraglider but then it flies on a wire and it has rocket it looks terrible jungle raiders exists and if you want to watch it the whole thing is on youtube don't do that 
<laughs> and I made up Batman and the Spider's Tomb because I couldn't think of another word to put in front of the word Raiders. So I just, well, I mean, I, I thought Bat Raiders and then went Batman. Turkey, I think, has a bit of a, a rep for doing things with characters. Not yeah. quite as good as the Philippines. The Philippines have uh, just a proud history of taking the piss out of Batman and having him fight zombies and Frankenstein mm. monsters and things. Yeah, I love the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what have you got? My three are all about sort of different versions of songs. My first fact is that Eminem's first hit features Chaz and Dave. That seems improbable. My second one is that <laughs> Tina Turner's 1984 hit, What's Love Got To Do With It, was first recorded by Bucks Fizz, best known for Eurovision. And number three, Taylor Swift re-recorded all her old albums as closely as possible to the original, shows she's changed a single word in each one to make it clear which version is being used when it's streamed. Oh, okay. Hmm. So how much of... The facts are true or false. <laughs> I know it sounds like they're all complete lies, but only one of them is a lie. Are they completely false or are they true with a hint of uh, falseness in oh, them? Okay, I see why you're asking. The third one, you probably know about the re-recording. Yeah, so, so the fact the is... The fact is to do with changing one word changing in every, one word. Si- every single song that she re-recorded, she's changed a word in. Because I know she's famously re-recorded mm-hmm. all her albums because... Some guy who's an absolute arsehole, Scooter Braun. Scooter Braun, ended up with the rights to the Taylor Swift first four Taylor Swift albums. Uh, first I think. six, first yeah. six, and she's re-recorded two, I think, mm-hmm. already. Yeah, so that she has a slightly different version that she's in charge of, and Scooter Braun doesn't get any royalties, which is good because he's a horrible, horrible man. Mm. Yeah. Know that. And this is to do with the rights to when a piece of music is reused, mm. like if, every time it's streamed, and say if it's used in a video game or in a movie. It's who gets the performance royalties for it. So I used to manage a video game development studio. We licensed either Tiger for uh, the second Rocky game we worked on. Uh, And the songwriter, who was also the singer and guitarist, sent a CD they'd re-recorded with session musicians to sound exactly like the original. Mm -hmm. So all the performance royalties went to him. And we just couldn't tell them apart. It was really difficult. There was one bit where we thought the piano might be slightly different. (laughs) Uh, So we were really worried because if we'd used the wrong version, there would be hell to pay. And presumably Shazam or some technology similar to that now could differentiate between them. I don't know, actually. That would be an interesting test because they are, Mm -hmm. you know, functionally identical. I know Ozzy Osbourne re-recorded a lot of his solo albums with a different drummer after having a fallout with the drummer Mm. and then re-released them so the drummer didn't get any performance royalties. And famously, um, the guy from Wet Wet Wet, what's he called? Marty Uh, Pello. Yeah, Marty Pello once released an album called Marty Pello Sings the Hits of Wet Wet Wet. (laughs) So he could keep all the performance royalties. Yeah, uh, Jeff Lynne did an ELO album Mm -hmm. where he basically re-recorded everything as well. Same reasons. Yeah. Musicians are petty. (laughs) Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. (laughs) I see, I I had heard about um, Taylor Swift um, recording albums. I didn't know anything about the reason for it, but I I was ready to bring that out and say, oh, actually, I know something about (laughs) contemporary pop music. And and now I'm back to feeling like I know nothing, which is fine. Is uh, Eminem's first hit, is that, will the real Slim Sadie please stand up? It is, my name is. Um, And that features... Well, it, I'm not, I don't know. It, it, it references lots of famous people like mm. um, Clinton and... It's literally you hear them playing. 
There's a bit where it oh, goes, run, okay. Dr. Dre, run, Dr. Dre, run, 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 before I shoot you with my gun, gun, gun. <laughs> rabbit, 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 etc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, do you have any further details about the Chaz and Dave involvement in uh, this lie that you've made up? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, it samples a song by Labby Sifra, and the session players happen to be Chaz and Dave. Mm. So they're not there because they're Chaz and Dave? No. I didn't think they okay. had a large cultural footprint mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, and, and how well would they have known Eminem when he was just starting out? They had no idea probably yeah. that he did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I shared a flat at university, my, my first year at university, uh, with my friend James, who was a big Spurs fan. And Chaz and Dave recorded a full album of songs about Spurs. That must have been horrible for you. It was on fucking repeat for the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone know anything about Tina Turner and Bucks Fizz? Nope. I lent Peter a book. Basically, basically Peter bought me a book for my birthday that I clearly wanted to read himself. <laughs> so, so I lent back to Peter At least the book. Partially he, true. I lent back to Peter the book he bought me for my birthday. And uh, was that in there? I don't know. But I don't know if it was or not. But certainly, I can see that popping into your head if you've been reading that book recently, because that's the sort of yeah. thing where they they talk a lot in that book about. It's Trevor Horn's autobiography. Mm. I know Trevor Horn has nothing to do with that. Yeah, but they they talk a lot in that book about people who originally did songs and taking mm. bits of songs for other people and everything. So you did yeah. read this book? I did. Yes, I. But you don't remember whether or not it mentioned. I don't this. remember that specific fact. Um, mm. somewhere in my primordial nerd brain, the Chaz and Dave Eminem thing, but. Again, that might be me just, what is it, chat GPT does, hallucinating? Yes, a, very possibly. Creating a fake moment, but I'm sure I've heard something about Chaz and Dave and Eminem together. And what about Bugs Fizz? Bugs Fizz I haven't heard. <laughs> Taylor Swift did re-record all her albums. I don't remember her changing a word, so I'm going to say that the bluff is that she's changed one word on every song. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought the Taylor Swift one was like, we've... We've earmarked that for complete truth. Mm. I was trying to figure out between the first two. I think I'll probably, I'll still go with the Tina Turner fact just because okay. of the way that you've been reacting to John's non-recollection of it in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll go for that one. I probably should just defer to John's knowledge on music, but mm. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to go for Eminem and Chaz and Dave because I think that's just an amusing mm. grouping okay. of individuals. Mm-hmm. One of us will be right. All right. Eminem, that is true. Uh, the sample Ooh. of doo-doo-doo with sort of like electric piano mm-hmm. that is off a Larby C for a song called I Got There. Mm. And yes, they got the session fee for that. Tina Turner's hit What's Love Got To Do With It was <sighs> first recorded by Bucks Fizz. They didn't release it before. She actually released mm-hmm. her version first, mm-hmm. but they recorded it. Was offered to Cliff Richard and to Donna Summer before being recorded by Bucks Fizz. And one of the two girls asked to sing lead on the track, but was told by the producer that it was unsuitable for a female lead vocal. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course they did. There's a big history, isn't there, of songs that have been turned down by somebody and then become massively famous by somebody else. Having heard the Bucks Fizz version of it, <laughs> it would not have been a big hit. <laughs> it is terrible. And the one I made up was the detail about changing one word in, in every song. <laughs> and that's because of the experience of having tried to deal with making sure we got the right song and didn't get our asses sued. Mm. Very cool. 
Hazel, what have you got for us? A couple of days ago, Andy and I went to see The Dark Knight at the cinema because it's 15 years since that came out. No, it isn't. It's five. (laughs) (laughs) I said literally the exact same thing. So it's it's The Dark Knight. Did you go and see it at the same cinema as the Indiana Jones movie? No. (laughs) We watched it in the Electra in the Tyneside, which is a specialist screen for action movies. Mm. And oh, oh, it's good. (laughs) It is. Bloody good film. And that was probably like another thing that we compared Indiana Jones to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> also like, probably not good that's thing to do. how you do action movies. And The Dark Knight's the middle one, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, the, Joker. the Joker one, yeah. So uh, I have a buff or bluff on The Dark Knight. Yay, cool. Number one. For the first four days of production, Christopher Nolan didn't shoot a thing. Instead, he screened two films a day to all of the cast and all of the crew. The films were Heat, Cat People... Citizen Kane, King Kong, Batman Begins, Black Sunday, Clockwork Orange, and Stalag 17. All of those films make perfect sense when you look at The Dark Knight. Mm. Number two. The Joker theme is called Why So Serious? And it's based on two notes, D and C. Anyone guess why? Mm, Marvel. Oh, DC. DC (laughs) Comics. Yeah. (laughs) Hans Zimmer also had some pretty interesting methods when he was writing that theme. So he played piano with razor blades and the guitar <laughs> with shards <laughs> the guitar with shards of metal. Wow. <laughs> and number three. So most people are aware of the huge first of its kind immersive viral marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Dark Knight did. Uh, it started fifteen months before the movie got released. It got fans involved from helping Harvey Dent become district attorney to serving as henchmen in the Joker's army and also joining citizens for a Batman. So fans called phone numbers written in the sky. Do you remember seeing that? Like, it went ha, 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 and then there was a phone number. Yeah. They found clues inside birthday cakes and all sorts of things. They even opened up a clown travel agency. <laughs> was that four clowns going on holiday? Or was that- no, it was actually to send uh, fans to bowling alleys across the world and then discovering clues inside a locker. Wow. They don't promote movies like that anymore, no, do they? No, they don't. Okay, so the company behind the campaign said that the fans found every single clue except for one. No one found the recruitment ads to join Jim Gordon's newly formed Major Crimes Unit, which put emphasis on the fact that fighting the mob takes guts, loyalty and patience. The ads were hidden within the ones and zeros of images on the website Citizens for Batman in a process called Steganography, Steganography, which is hiding a code within a graphic that appears to be a normal image. Correct. Hmm. Hmm. Why, how would you play a piano with razor blades? Carefully. Yeah, very <laughs> I, I, I Painfully. A, I have actually heard that. I, I didn't know piano, but it was, it'll was it be the, the strings. Um, it was definitely a string was thing. Was it a treated piano? Razors. Mm. Uh, the, the rest of it, I haven't quite heard. The whole DC thing seems a little bit too cute, but if he was just going for two notes a tone apart, then why not put it in that key? Just so didn't he just go, end hmm. up playing the Jaws theme? Da, 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 da. Oh, it's da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah okay. I'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the flat Treated yeah. pianos, there's things like pianos where you put drawing pins into all the felts where the dampers are, so you get a different sound. Mm-hmm. And there are pieces written for pianos treated in a certain way. Mm. Well, yeah, I know that he did some razor blade stuff. The rest of it, I don't know about, but I'm leaning towards true on that. It's a really good score, of course. Mm. And Zimmer mm-hmm. is great and really, really sets a mood brilliantly. Did you know that Hans Zimmer was in the Buggles? I was going to say no, but I think maybe you've mentioned that in the podcast before. Mm -hmm. 
the viral marketing thing, mm -hmm. would they have hidden the Jim Gordon ads so much that they never actually achieved anything? Would that not be a waste of money? Well, it was part of a huge, huge campaign and um, everyone found everything else. But I suspect that was a lower budget than hiring a plane, for example. Mm. That's a very good point. <laughs> I think you'd be secretly quite pleased if there was one that people didn't find. Yeah. But then you can also say, there's one you haven't found yet. Mm -hmm. And that'll drive them crazy all talking about what it is and where it might be. Yeah. I'm not sure if they did that or not. So fact number one was that for the first four days um, of shooting, there was no shooting. Christopher Nolan yep. um, just showed everyone a load of films. Yep. It's not really the first four days of shooting, is it? Not really. No, uh, I would say it's first four days. For it. <laughs> well, yeah. Who, who paid for? Um, there must was it all of the cast and crew? Yeah, that's a lot of people being paid to sit around for four days just watching <laughs> films. But I like the list. Yeah, it's to a very good list, mood. isn't it? Yeah, almost too good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I genuinely don't know on this one. I'm going to go for Jim Gordon's Major Crime Unit's um, advertisement because I don't think that's befitting of Jim Gordon's character. I think he'd be much more old media. He'd be putting stuff in newspapers. <laughs> I think probably the reason why Jim Gordon did it this way is because he developed the Major Crimes Unit because he wasn't sure who he could trust within Gotham Police. Uh, I think that, like the first Batman Begins, it was all about crooked cops. Mm. So getting random strangers was a good idea, wasn't it? Random strangers <laughs> off the internet, I, <laughs> yeah. I find I can always what trust. Could go wrong? That's viral marketing, people. Random <laughs> strangers on the internet doing things. I think I'm going to go for that as well. I'm going to go for the, the Jim Gordon internet poster. I don't remember what the other one is. There was Treated Piano. Yep. And uh, the first four days being a very expensive cinema club. <laughs> I'm going to go with that, just because I could imagine it being quite a tough sell to the producers. The cinema club is true. <sighs> There's, uh, yeah, two films a day for the first four days. Chris Nolan <laughs> can just do whatever the fuck he wants. Wow. Apparently so. It is also true about Hans Zimmer. Hmm. Uh, the two notes, D and C for DC Comics. I don't know, I'd love to see some footage of him playing the guitar with shards of metal. Uh, but yeah, really, really creative musician. I made up the Jim Gordon one. I have no idea. I mean, I don't. I, I think probably the fans got everything, um, but I just kind of like the idea of putting hidden messages and things. And did a bit of research on uh, stenography, and and the process dates back to the fifth century BC when a Greek tyrant tattooed. Uh, he shaved the head of one of his servants, tattooed a message on his head, and then waited for the hair to grow back before sending the messenger out. <laughs> so it's uh, a process that goes back centuries and centuries for anything. You know, Jim Gordon, think he is old school, so I thought yeah. that might... Very old school. Yeah. I like it. There'll be a good podcast out there about that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't listen to podcasts, though. I think The Dark Knight is going to be in my top 10 films forever. And Heath Ledger's Joker will and always will be my favourite. It's one of the mm. greatest all-time villains purely for the chaos and, and the, the, the preparation that he did. It is a blistering performance that I'm very grateful for, but I also know it cost him a lot to do it. Mm. Lovely to see it on the uh, big screen again as well. But the biggest achievement is doing all that without everyone hating him. <laughs> Which obviously happened to Jodley yes. too. You can do this all without putting rats into your uh, castmates' trailers, Jared. 
Right acting, Jared. <laughs> he did close himself off for six weeks before he started filming because uh, he worked on The Voice and the little tick that he does and everything. Mm. I have heard that the licking of the lips, you remember that? Mm. It comes from um, the scars being attached to his chin falling off. So he would lick his lips to keep them on. And, and he's like, oh, that looks really good. <laughs> Let's keep that in. <laughs> Something else I learned about the Dark Knight when I was uh, looking at my buff or bluff. Was it that it's 20 minutes too long and they really didn't need a bit on the boat? Nope, because that is very, very, very untrue. Okay, please continue. <laughs> it's so that's the bluff. <laughs> the whole film is about making choices and like either one or the other because it's like the whole toothpaste thing, mm-hmm. either the dark night or the white night. And on, on the boat, it's all about what choice do you make? So, yes, you're wrong, John. Anyway. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so the costume designer was called uh, Lindy Hemming and Christopher Nolan told her that he wanted the audience to be able to imagine what the Joker smells like just by looking at him. So she based it on Johnny Rotten, Iggy Pop, and Peak Doherty. Yeah, I can, again, I can see that, yeah. yeah. I don't want to smell that. No, no. exactly. Yeah, I mean, she could have just had him wearing onions around his neck or something. He <laughs> <laughs> just comes back with some onions. And some he, I, I imagine a smell of rotting fruit. Hmm. That would be my sense of the Joker's smell. Yeah. It shows you interesting, like, all these little things that you don't, notice clearly when you're but it's all subconsciously there it's all there yeah yeah. Yeah. all all that's up good films anyway yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) john what have you got uh well i've just got back from glastonbury really you haven't mentioned it um, which was uh, absolutely amazing i got to see loads and loads of acts always the highlight of my year but uh, it's particularly good this year got to see guns and roses and elton john and newer bands like panic shack and prima queen and the last dinner party were amazing. So I had a great time, and to try and keep my Glastonbury vibe going, I actually have four facts about Glastonbury, one of which is complete bullshit. Did any of these appear in the Glastonbury quiz that we were overhearing on Wednesday night? They do not. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. People may be aware of what are known as the long drops at Glastonbury, which are the Mm. particularly unpleasant toilets, which are emptied out by tankers during the weekend and taken away. In the late 90s, there were some long drops next to the popular dance tent at Glastonbury. The tanker connected and unfortunately was set to blow rather than suck and sprayed the entire inside of the dance tent with excrement. Um, You've got to know when to blow and when to suck. Indeed, yes. Basic. (laughs) (laughs) Fact number... Good Lord. Number two. Glastonbury is held on Worthy Farm near Pilton in Somerset. But because of the size of the festival, the Evises who run the festival rent lots of adjoining land from farm owners for the month before and after the festival for camping and so on. Most of the neighbouring farm owners are happy to take the money, with the exception of one small farm holding, who for many years during the festival put up a 30-foot-tall giant crucifix, which was lit at night, to ward off the evil spirits of the festival. (laughs) Wow. Goddamn hippies. Fact number three. The festival has been stopped on many occasions, temporarily for things like lightning storms, um, flooding and so on. The oddest of these was in the 1980s, 
when the entire festival was stopped for 20 minutes due to the performance of The Crazy World of Arthur Brown, where he puts on his helmet that he sets on fire and sinks fire, setting off the internal fire alarms in one of the tent, causing a small fire and causing the entire festival to be paused for 20 minutes until the fire was put out and they were allowed to continue. And finally, factor number four. The festival is famous over the years for people trying to get in without a ticket. In the 80s and 90s, people would just push down the fence and go in. On one occasion, Michael Evis just took down the fence with his tractor because he decided he wanted to let people in. Since about 2000, to stop this, they have created a giant super fence, which is about seven and a half kilometres in diameter around the festival. Is that where Donald Trump got the idea? Yeah, I believe so. (laughs) This hasn't, however, stopped people getting in. On one occasion recently, a man managed to enter the festival by taking a plane to the edge of the super fence and then paragliding in from the plane into the festival, landing next to the stone circle. Michael Evis, the owner of the festival, was so impressed he decided to allow him to stay. What happened to the plane? I have no idea. <laughs> I assume there was a pilot. <laughs> so it's, did somebody get sprayed with shit? Is, is there a giant crucifix to ward off the evil of the spirit? Was the entire festival stopped by the crazy world of Arthur Brown setting the fire alarms off? And did somebody paraglide in? I think I might have heard the crucifix one before. All right. I don't know uh, if it, that is exactly true. There's one petulant farmer who refused for years. But I think I might have heard that one before. Most of them sound plausible. If I was going to guess which one John has made up, it would be the shit one, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think so. I also think I've heard the plain one. Right. So it's either shit or fire. <laughs> the eternal question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new Pixar movie, isn't it? Yeah, the elements. A shit and a fire fall in love. <laughs> Elemental. Uh, I think John would have enjoyed the whole, oh, accidentally put it as blow instead of suck. A good one for him to make up. Yeah, and that's a very John way to phrase it as well. Yes, exactly. But if Arthur Brown actually caused a small fire rather than just setting off the smoke detectors, he must have bumped into something while his head was on fire. There's a lot of very small stages. And um, have you ever seen Arthur Brown live? You may have done it. He puts on a massive helmet and sets his head on fire. Because his big fire. song is fire. Da-da. Oh, yeah. We're familiar with the song. And um, he is a madman. Well, hence the crazy world of Arthur Brown. I'm imagining too large a tent. Was it just a, a one-man tent? Or was he just there as a punter? Potentially, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's too much um, NO2 laughing gas. and He kept shouting fire and everyone just <laughs> thought he was performing his song. Ah, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm going to go for paragliding. Just for the sake of picking something. Mm-hmm. I'm going for blowing shit instead of sucking shit. So we've got blowing shit instead of sucking shit. We've got paragliding and... Long drop. Long, long drop shit explosion accident. Well, I'm afraid to say for anybody who was in the dance tent dancing along at the time, <laughs> uh, it did get sprayed with several days of human excrement oh, due to oh the uh, tanker being set to the wrong setting. Oh, you'd um, wash, but you'd never be clean. <laughs> no. I'm so sorry. We, we tried to save you. <laughs> The uh, power glider is correct. That is true, uh, which leaves us with Arthur Brown and the crucifix. Of which the crucifix is true. Arthur Brown never caused the festival to be stopped with his fire hat. Okay. Very responsible guy. <laughs> Will be dumped down immediately if there was any danger. Yeah. Do you think they have fire extinguishers on standby? They must do, must they? The big hose it, off stage. It, it, it has its own fire station. 
Right. Wow. Which was used this year. Apparently there was a fire in the Pilton Palais Cinema tent. The projector set on fire. We actually went there. We saw um, Helen O'Hara, friend of the... Well, friend of Dan, I would say, rather than friend of the podcast. <laughs> he has interviewed on his podcast, <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, I don't think she's ever listened to us. Oh, did he? He got a mention, didn't he, on the Empire podcast yes. from her. Yeah, she, she name-checked him. Uh, he has escorted her around the place that he works. Mm. Asda. Yeah. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> find the eggs. <laughs> but yes, she interviewed uh, two up-and-coming female directors, they had Nia DaCosta, who directed the recent Candyman remake and is now going on to do the Marvels for Disney. And Nia DeManzor, who directed Polite Society, which is a oh, film I haven't seen, but I know a lot of people really liked it. I think Dan saw it and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Nia DaCosta was very, very clear that she was a tiny cog in a Marvel machine when she was making the Marvels. Don't expect a big feminist tract. Yeah. She was treading carefully, but saying, I went in with lots of ideas and Kevin Feige had lots of ideas and it's Kevin Feige's film and not my film. Oh, <laughs> oh that is oh, very clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know it's on Secret Invasion? A Kevin Feige production, really, mm. really prominent at yeah. the beginning of it. Kevin Feige, but Feige. I don't know, don't know if you want to... I mean, it has been... Obviously hugely powerful in how the movies have been perceived over the last 10 years, but it's still a bit wanky thing to do, really. <laughs> that is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, you can keep up to date with us on Facebook. If Twitter gets fixed, you can follow us there within your <laughs> 1,000 tweets a day limit or whatever that horseshit is. Uh, we are at Nerdfest UK. John, giver of things, what will you give the listeners today in return for a review on Apple Podcasts? Well, if you leave us a review, I will use my unlimited cinema pass to take you to a dark, dark cinema. And then <laughs> apologise for it being so dark. <laughs> Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who, after six years at Glastonbury, knows exactly what the Joker smelled like. <laughs> A man who wishes that Turkish Batman had played Indy's son in Crystal Skull instead of Shia LaBeouf. Mm. A man who's changed only one word in this podcast so you can tell it's been re-recorded. <laughs> and a woman who's not the podcast host you want, but the one you need right now. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. sign off with a maniacal joker laugh but <laughs> no that, um, John that's not how you do it how do you do it that's it you're choking on <laughs> <laughs> I was about to Heimlich you there <laughs> <laughs> not if I Heimlich you first <laughs> that's the Thor slash fiction everybody wants isn't it <laughs> That's, that's a, quite a tongue twister. The Heimlich. The Thor slash fiction. I can't do that. Try that. Mm-hmm. The Thor slash fiction. Thor slash fiction. Did you see um, Chris Hemsworth kind of apologise for Thor Love and Thunder in an interview? Did he? Mm. When's he apologising for Ragnarok? <laughs> <laughs>